and we would like to welcome today Stacey Lee Sherwood to All About Animals Radio. Um, Stacey has done an incredible amount in her life, everything from civil rights to being a published writer, a blogger, a poet, and is heavily involved in saving so many species of animals. Today we're going to choose turtles because there is a lot going on that not many people know about and again sadly it's always linked to tourism and to people traveling around and that is a big problem uh, that conservation alone can't solve Um, so we're going to talk about turtles we're going to talk about which species we're talking about and how a turtle is a keystone species and everything that goes into it so we've got a lot to talk about we're going to dive straight in so hi Stacey Lee Good morning. Well, actually, it's morning for me. Good afternoon. Uh, great to finally meet you. And boy, you really sound, sound you make me sound uh, like I'm actually doing doing a lot. You so are thank, doing so a thank lot. You. <laughs> so turtles. Now, I've seen turtles scuba diving in Egypt. That's my claim to kind of meeting a turtle. And they are just amazing dinosaurs, I like to say when you're you know down about 40 meters in the ocean and they're all kind of floating around it looks absolutely magical but to get those turtles in those magical oceans they have a heck of a problem don't they they do they do and actually um a lot of us refer to sea turtles as living fossils because they really haven't changed all that much um since the beginning tens of millions of years ago um Basically, when you look at a sea turtle, it's just a smaller version of what it had been when dinosaurs were around. Uh, Sadly for them, they survived so many changes on the planet. But in the last, I'd say the last couple of hundred years, their population has really taken a hit. And definitely since the expansion of the the modern era definitely since the post-world war ii their population has really crashed and this would be all of the species of sea turtles not just the the giant leatherbacks but the loggerheads and the kemp's ridley Uh, overall their population has plummeted about 80 85 percent though with the leatherbacks their population has plummeted more than like 90 percent uh same with the kemp's ridleys uh loggerheads are a little more abundant but unfortunately, the bulk of their nesting is in Florida, and Florida doesn't do conservation. They do conservation, but not conservation. Um, so how long these sea turtles will survive is anyone's guess. I Honestly, I don't think that they will be able to overcome all of the obstacles that we have put in their way. The big three, of course, plastic, which plastic alone could could destroy, you know, plastic yes, alone could, could 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 destroy all of us. It's literally everywhere, not just the plastic devices we put in our body, but the little microplastic is in everything, everything we eat, everything we drink, everything we breathe. Um, and they've done necropsies of post-hatchlings. And a post-hatchling is anywhere from just a couple of weeks to a couple months old. So they're they're still tiny little baby sea turtles. They they barely fit in your hand. And they found that all of these post-hatchlings are just filled with plastic. And you've seen the pictures of the albatross and other seabirds. Yes. And not just the adults, but the chicks just filled with plastic. So we're finding that with sea turtles. Thing is, with sea turtles, they don't get the same attention that the elephants and the rhinos and the lions and the tigers get. Um, There's not a lot of people talking about the problems with sea turtles. 
And those that do tend to focus on plastic, which, like I said, is a problem, but it's only one of three problems. There are two other huge problems, which could exterminate the species. And that would be light pollution, which is a global problem. And in simple terms, hot sand. It just means that the temperature of the sand is is too hot. Um, Any one of those three problems could ex- extinguish the species. So, and we have all three going on at the same Sorry, time. And to put this into context, when um, there are only certain areas that these turtles lay their eggs, right? Um, you can't, you know, these animals know where they want to lay their eggs. And normally, because of building development, especially somewhere like Florida, you're going to have a row of houses there or hotels and lots of signs that cause the light pollution at night. So when the turtles hatch, they don't know which way they're going, but also with the sand and the lack of um, climate action, as it gets hotter and hotter, without some substantial help, although in what form, I'm not really sure. Yeah, maybe we'll talk more about that. You know, these, as you say, these hatchlings have got to know which way they're going, you know, survive extremely hot sand and somehow find something to eat. And it would be interesting to talk about what they actually, when they start eating and what they're going to try and find. And is it there for them to find? Well, the, the first problem would be um, the mama turtle. And they have in them kind of like a, a honing device. So they don't really pick per se where they're going to nest, it's kind of in their DNA from when they're a hatchling that they come back to what is called their natal beach where they're born. But that doesn't mean that they come actually to that particular beach. It could be within a few miles. It could be within hundreds of miles, but it's basically considered a a natal beach, especially when you're talking about animals that are three, four, 500 pounds with the leatherbacks, they can be 2000 pounds. So size-wise, a natal beach for them could be you know, a, a, a bigger area than just a couple of blocks. But yes, the, the sea turtles that come back to Florida were born in Florida. And the ones that uh, go to Costa Rica were, were born there. Unless you do like like a hatchery kind of thing where you transplant them. But that's no, that's no guarantee either. So when some of these uh, sea turtle scientists, and I've, I've contacted the, the nonprofits like Sea Turtle Conservancy and Oceanic Society, I contacted the state agency, FWC, I went all the way up to the IUCN. And at every single point, they all had the same talking points where they made this ridiculous, untrue comment that you know the sea turtles will adapt and migrate, which is not true because if you understand sea turtle biology, you know that they won't migrate on their own. If that were true, they would all be up in the Arctic long ago because the you know as you mentioned, the sand is too hot, there's too much pollution, there's not enough food down here, so they're coming here because they have to, not really because they choose to. So so that's not even accurate. And these are the you know experts paid paid to save the species. So the first problem is the mama has to come back to hopefully her her home um, and find enough sand to build on. Now, with all of the hurricanes, sometimes the currents and the wind will create kind of like a little hill. 
And again, you see these big sea turtles and they look like they're big and they're strong and they're fierce. Well, I've been on the beach where I've seen many false crawls and a mama turtle will come out on the beach and she'll encounter the tiniest little edge. I'm talking maybe a foot or two where she could easily crawl over it, but she just doesn't. It like visually blocks her. And so she turns around and goes back into the ocean. We call that a false crawl. We have more false crawls in the state of Florida than we do actual nest making. And for years, I would out, go out in the morning and document it. And this is not something that the FWC or the state of Florida ever publicizes or advertise, but it's an indication that the species is not, is not doing well. They only come on the beach to lay in, egg, to lay in eggs and make a nest. So if they are not able to do that, that's a, that's a huge problem. So that's do we, one- know, do we know what they do? I mean, do they, I mean, literally, you're kind of imagining an animal full of eggs, you know, and imagining that she's got right. to release them somewhere. She's got to go. Right. She's got to yeah. go. So, so do we know what happens? Do they literally just kind of abort them in the ocean or do they actually try and find somewhere else? Well, they will try to, they will try to come back. Now, whether or not the mama comes back a couple hours later or a couple of days later, nobody can really tell you because no one's on the beach and these animals aren't tagged. So there's no way of knowing, oh, that was the mom that came up at 10 o'clock at night and she's back. So there's no way of really knowing. Um, but they will attempt again and again, and it will come to some point where they just drop their eggs. And we know this because we have seen eggs that were dropped on the beach. Sometimes it's because they were disturbed while attempting to nest. So we know that happens. And that is also part of, I mean, you could argue part of that is just natural weather. But like I said, sea turtles survived and thrived until very recently. So this is more of a, of a human problem. Okay. And then the next thing is if the mama turtle is able to get onto the beach, she has to find enough beach that isn't developed to actually dig, you know, dig down, you know, two, three, four feet with her flippers and drop her eggs without being disturbed. Now, when you go on these turtle walks, the scientists will tell you that when they are about to drop their eggs, they get in this zone and they can't be disturbed. And that's just to justify them taking groups of 20 and 30 people out where you're literally two feet behind the turtle watching her drop an egg, which by the way, is, is not a pretty, it's not a pretty sight. So it's, no. it, yeah, no, I, so. I mean, no. it's, it's, it's gooey. It. No. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's gooey. And then she, yeah. you know, hits you, hits you with sand. So it's, it's not, it's not a whole thing. But since I did the morning surveys for so many years, I would see where sometimes she attempted to dig a nest and was disturbed. And yes, it could have been by a raccoon or a fox, but most of the time it's probably from someone flashing a light or coming on the beach. And then she stops making the nest and leaves, or she will start dropping her eggs and then leave, or she'll drop her eggs and she's disturbed and not close up the nest. Now, if those eggs are exposed to the elements, even just a few minutes, they're basically destroyed. And again, this is not information anybody would really know if they weren't working with sea turtles coming out in the morning. Um, And this is not widely advertised, but this is a direct correlation to the human disturbances on the beach, which could be either lights on the beach or people actually on the beach disturbing them. I mean, it would be great to shut down the beaches during nesting season, but that just won't happen because of the of the tourists. So you that's see, the second. See, that's a little bit, um, little bit odd that you know, Florida lately, especially Miami, has done a huge thing about the climate and mm-hmm. places all over the world, even where I live here. 
unusually for the first time last year they shut off part of um the woodland here uh, mm. for the nesting birds and it made a huge difference and right. after the tourists got used to it for the first month moaning they actually appreciated what was going on and supported it and I wonder sometimes if by not shutting things off if the authorities don't give people enough credit because <laughs> they might actually want to support it and if a few decent boards were put up saying right this is turtle nesting season and you're going to help by you know just standing back and helping nature I wonder if you know, people would actually try and help. And when you say about the eggs, um, you know, sometimes being lost, what proportion do you think, from what you've seen, um, are are being lost? Um, when you say lost, you mean like the the mama's disturbed and she drops yes. her eggs? Yeah. Well, um, again, it's it's hard to quantify. I'm. I mean, I could tell you that. From the nine years I did the morning survey and I went out every morning in Highland Beach, um, we didn't see a huge amount of partially dug nests or eggs that were dropped on the beach from that. But what we did see was a huge amount of false crawls. Um, And that meant that there was a nesting attempt that was abandoned. What happened to those eggs? We have no idea if they later came back or if they dumped them in the ocean. Nobody would have that answer. We just know that there's a huge amount of false crawls. And the thing about Highland Beach is they don't do these renourishment programs. So the beach is natural. And it's a private beach with no public parking and very dark. Like you could be five feet away from someone at night and not even see them. So the human disturbance is very, very minimum. I can tell you that the disorientation report, which comes from light pollution, is like five to 10%. It's gotta be about the lowest in the state. So clearly these false crawls are not because of people on the beach, like down in Fort Lauderdale, or um, because of light pollution, which would be most of the rest of the state. So you look at Highland Beach and you're wondering, well, what is that? You know, what is what is causing yeah. that? That could be because the turtles are sick. You know, the, the ocean is so polluted with all of the, Florida also dumps human poop in the water, sewage as well as all of the pesticides. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. We have poop well, pipes all, 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 yeah, all, all over the world. Florida is well known for the water problems, isn't it? And all yeah. the blooms and all the, you know, the- Oh yeah, the red tide and the, and the algae well bloom. Known. Yeah, and, and, and all of that. So if you're living in that and swimming in that and eating food that's contaminated, how healthy are you going to be? So, and again, no one's really thought to study that or if have, they don't want to tell anybody about it. And what, so do, that, what do turtles eat? What, what would they be after for food? And how many eggs on average does a female carry? Well, each species eats something different. Um, the greenies, which are not green, the, the fat inside is actually green. So unless you did knee cups, you wouldn't actually know that where they get the name from green. They actually eat whatever they can until they hit adulthood. And they, then they eat vegetation. And if you've been following what's been going on with the manatees in Florida, there's not a lot yes. of vegetation, not a lot of vegetation. Um, the manatees, yeah, poor thing. They're not going to survive either for no. the manatees or the sea turtles. And what vegetation is out there is pretty toxic and contaminated. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the microplastic is literally embedded in everything. So they're getting a huge diet of plastic, no matter what they eat. With the um, hawksbill, they... Uh, what do they eat? They eat. Oh, I can't remember what the hawksbill eat. They eat oh, something that's poison, poisonous that you find in the reefs. Um, 
that they have something in, in them where they kind of neutralize the poison. Leatherbacks, they have the worst of it. They eat jellyfish. Oh, they eat the giant, yeah. They eat the giant jellyfish, which nobody, no other species eats, right? And you hardly ever see them. In fact, we don't even know how many giant jellyfish are out there. But unfortunately for them, a floating plastic bag looks just like a small jellyfish, right? Oh, or pictures. Yes. So they get a huge, steady diet of these plastic bags. Unfortunately for them, the loggerheads they consume crustaceans. So they kind of compete with humans that like to eat the crabs and the lobsters. And so that's also part of the part of the problem as well. Of course, the lobster and the crab is being overfished too. So there yes. isn't as much of a supply. And if humans are competing with sea turtles, you see how that that correlates, kind of like with the dolphins out in Japan with the fishermen. You know, they kill the dolphins as competition. So that's part of the problem. The loggerheads are not finding a whole lot of food to so eat. So I guess, because... I guess as well, you're getting turtles in uh, as bycatch. I, I guess if they're going for the same yes. things the fish, fishing people are, are going for, then there's going to be a few in the nets. And do they get thrown back in and saved, or are they um, having the same fate as the dolphins that end up in these nets? Pretty, pretty much the same fate. Um, if you've seen the studies and the picture done by conservationists and and the pictures. When they pull up these giant nets, there's very little of the quote target species, right? Like yes. anywhere from anywhere from 50 to like 95% of what's in the net is the bycatch. It's not the intended targeted species. Well, once once they're removed from the habitat and who knows how long they're in the net and they're all jammed together, then they're dumped on the boat and they either stay there and die or they're thrown back into the ocean. It kind of depends on what the species is. If they're little tiny turtles, I'm guessing they die. If they're larger turtles, maybe they're tossed back. Um, and again, well, we know tens of thousands of turtles are killed from this. We don't really know the accurate number because it's not reported. And there's no way of really quantifying how many are caught in bycatch and how many are returned to the sea and if they survive. Um, now, this is quite important, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, we realise there are problems with the fishing industry, uh, you know, and their endless amount of nets that are dumped is, is a massive yes. one. Um, and, you know, we're still waiting to see if they ever actually clean up their mess. But, and it would be lovely if they did, because it is their industry that the climate is going to take down if they don't. But turtles have a very important role in the ocean, don't they? <laughs> you know, are they a keystone species? Well, they are um, in a, in a lot of ways, and one of the, one of the main reasons is because though they spend all of their adult life, uh, well, all of all of their life in the ocean, they need the land in order to lay the eggs and hatch. <clears throat> so they're not they're not exclusive to the ocean. So they can tell us what is going on both on land and in the sea, and if the sea becomes any more polluted and warmer than it is, um, it's already quite polluted and quite warm. And what likes what likes warm water? Bacteria, right? So we're yes. finding a, a lot of that with the with the uh, fiber papilloma with, with those tumors in the in the green sea turtles. So we know that the ocean is making a lot of these sea turtles sick and probably sterile. Um, but again, necropsies are not really done. A lot of this really isn't studied and the information is just not released to the public. Um, that's why I say they, they make all these studies that nobody ever reads or does anything about. 
So that's one problem. And then when they come on the land, there has to be there has to be existing beach for them to nest on. And the sand has to be cool enough to produce both males and females uh, and dark enough so the hatchlings don't come out of the nest and walk towards the road or basically any light source other than the ocean. So they have a huge amount of, of problems that we've created to overcome. So in that sense, they're very much a keystone species because they're showing us and they've been showing us for many years how polluted the water is. It's not sustainable to keep dumping in it and how polluted the land is, not just with the light pollution, but with all the trash. And when you study the sea turtles, you can clearly see. Now, on the rare occasion you do necropsies, like I mentioned, you open them up and they are just filled with plastic and, and not just plastic, but all, all, kinds of, all kinds of junk. I mean, you won't believe the stuff that we, we see on um, the beach, um, needles, uh, bits of rubber from the flip-flops, bits of clothing, and all of that goes into the ocean and the sea turtles consume it. You know, if you're opening up your mouth and you're going towards a crab and some little tiny bit of plastic or rubber is in the water and gets in your mouth, you're going to swallow it. I think so, that's what people don't realize. I mean, you kind yeah. of think, oh, you know, the animals being a bit silly here, surely, you know, they can smell, you know, what they do eat and what they can't. No. <laughs> as you say, this is the problem. It, you know, I've, I used to, you know, scuba dive and everything. And if you go under the ocean in certain places, you know, it, it's it's pretty, you know, it's of garbage you it know is, and it is it literally is. floating past your face know. you know and when you especially as you go deeper you don't expect certain things to be there but it literally is floating on by and you know you get you, you can't blame these animals for getting confused or you know getting caught up in it because there is no escape once they're in that and the, you know and everything's floating around it's so easy to happen it's not the animals being all silly at all Exactly. Well, actually, it's it's so murky. You can't even see, even if you had oh, wave so vision. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay. it's, it's terrible. It is absolutely. Some of these oceans, you go down there and it is just, it was just fish poo and bits of plastic. And, you know, and then there's the odd, sad, murky looking fish going by. On the other hand, if you go to a pristine ocean, oh. and there are a few spots in the world, yeah, um, the colour and the vibrancy um, of the underwater gardens is astounding and in some ways I wish people could see that because maybe then people would care to protect it I mean it really is astonishing when you go down 20 30 40 meters sometimes and you see these incredible gardens of plants and the different color fish and the turtles are floating down and you know that's when you think wow and this really needs protecting and, you know, how privileged, it, you know, you feel to actually see this kind of thing. But it, it's one of those things, isn't it? You've, you've kind of got to see it to believe it and then join the dots to understand it. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens because a lot of things have to fall into place. Right. Right. Actually, Florida, back in the, I think it's back in the 1970s, um, they decided to dump Two million tires. And of course, rubber is a byproduct of crude oil. Yeah. So it's not just the rubber that breaks down with the with the you know micro bits of rubber, but it also leaches crude oil. So they dumped a quote reef, a man-made reef of oh, two million oh. a two million tires right off the coast of Fort Lauderdale. About 1.5 or 1.8 million tires are still down there. 
Now, I don't know why anyone would ever think anything would grow from rubber because, you know, no surprise, nothing, nothing no, did. Yeah. And then they strung the tires together with what looked like rope. So if you go down there, not only is it very mercury, but the tires are, as you said, literally floating around, banging into the reefs, which are bleaching from all of the dumping of pesticides and medical waste and poop and everything else. So our coral reefs are bleaching. And so Florida used to have a colorful, vibrant, thriving reef. It no longer does. They basically killed it off. If you've ever gotten the chance to go down to Cuba, I believe it's called Garden of Eden, and it's like a wildlife uh, marine refuge. They don't allow, they only allow a few divers there per year. They really regulate it. They don't have any fishing. They don't have any dumping. I mean, of all places, right? And it's beautiful and pristine. If you were to compare that with any coast of Florida, and the and the Gulf is even worse because that's where all the oil is spilling, still spilling you would see what a difference because off the coast of Florida, no matter how far down you go, it's very mercury. So there's no visibility. Um, And like you said, there's just all kinds of trash floating by uh, the occasional washing machine, not to mention the tires and the bits of plastic and just, uh, just a host of things. And then of course, with all the cruise ships, so as they come into the port in Fort Lauderdale in Miami, you know, they're dumping a lot of things too. And we see this when we when we, you know we're on the beach. If you were to start just a mile and you were to try to pick up everything that you could see, it would literally take you all day to get to the end of that one mile marker. And by the time you turned around to go back, it would be like you didn't even clean up the beach, you know. And if you're not really paying attention, you might not notice. But when you look down and you start to really notice all of the little things that aren't sand it really starts to bring home the urgency that really no one is is doing about. I mean, this FWC, the state agency is not doing anything, but the nonprofits are not doing anything either. And we, and we need to talk about that because, yeah. you know, there's so much money and yes. everybody's heartstrings are pulled. And, you know, many people who are struggling themselves are donating, you know, a few pounds, a few dollars, a few euros. <laughs> to right. you know conservation groups and there has been a lot of money you know thrown at various surveys and this and that but as you say it's one of those things where all of a sudden the money the conferences and everything else they are doing absolutely nothing in real terms you know to sort out these major problems of all the millions spent on turtles the actual things killing them and destroying their habitat nobody has addressed anything so there's no difference so it's very sad if people are are also you know giving money when nothing is going to be done with that money except i don't know you know provide a few people with with a job for a while but nothing's being saved so you know it's a complete waste of money really it it is um a lot of people would look at Sea Turtle Conservancy, which um, was originally called the Caribbean Conservation Corporation. And their focus, even though they're located in Florida, their focus is actually Costa Rica. Um, and I know I know this organization intimately. Uh, I was kind of friendly with Karen Schutes when she worked there for years. Uh, I'd spoken to David Godfrey umpteen times. He, he runs it. Um, and... If you go on their website, you know, 
they say we're the oldest sea turtle nonprofit and we're doing this and that. They have um, this tour to turtles where they put like a satellite on turtles. And I guess you can kind of watch the turtles, quote, race around the world or whatever. So they focus on that. And they'll tell you that they are trying to do something about light pollution. So I have it in writing from an email from David Godfrey that he was very proud that they had changed something. I think he said like 300 light bulbs or whatever, or 300 buildings, the lighting uh, in buildings, which is absolutely nothing because just in Broward County alone, there must be like a million lights. And you don't need to spend millions of dollars changing your whole lighting system. It really is just changing the light bulb from a white one to a red one. Or is, that what to, it is. is that yeah, really, that, it, that could make a major change? People oh my gosh, yes. Go. Yeah, I mean, the, the light pollution is there to stay. There's no, there's no problem about that. But if everyone changed their outdoor light bulb to a red one, or even okay. just put a shield on it so the light focused down and not out, which I, ironically is also safer for humans because those white lights blind humans, it would really make a huge amount of difference only as far as the light pollution and disorientation. Well, that, that's um, one thing. That's one big thing, though, isn't it? And it, I can't, I can't believe that of all that money that people, you know, all that, all that, all everybody that, all that, lives all along the beach. Ex- exactly. That many light bulbs. Well, there, there are, there are a lot of light bulbs, but the, but the thing is, there's a huge amount of these hotels and condos, and right. you know, they just, they just don't, don't want to budge. But when I would meet people on the beach. You know, they would be like, is that all we have to do? And I said, that's literally all you have to do. You're not you're not you're not going to get rid of disorientation or light pollution because there's just too much of it from the ocean, the cruise ships, the sky glow. But you could definitely cut it probably in half or even more. And no and right. And nobody does it. So this light pollution killing sea turtles violates not just county law and state law, but federal law. Uh, In fact, they're listed under the IUCN as endangered. And nobody will do anything. If you contact any nonprofit, any state or federal agency, including the Marine Turtle Group of supposed experts at the IUCN, which is supposed to be the premier of the premier, they all tell you the same thing, you know, that they, quote, hope that the local laws are enforced. And basically, what else what else can we do? Not one, not one would support really the only way around around this problem, not the plastic problem, because that's in the ocean, but around the light pollution problem and the hot sand, which is creating only females. So we're not even creating males to reproduce. And that would be an indoor temperature controlled hatchery, which people do have these, they have them in the Caribbean, Um, they work. And it wouldn't really be a huge production if you think about all the big universities. And just to give you an example, Nova Southern University does the morning program for Broward County. And I think their budget is something like almost a billion dollars. And in, right. And in Palm Beach County, uh, where Jeanette Wynikin and Mike Salmon do all these studies, but they're not actually saving any turtles, is FAU, Florida Atlantic University. And their budget is over a billion. And those are just those two universities in those two counties. Then you have Gumbo Limbo, and then you have all these other marine uh, logger uh, loggerhead hospital. There is plenty of room that you could do this. I'm not saying every nest, that, that would not be feasible. But even if you just did half of the nest, and all that would involve is you go out in the morning, which Broward County used to dig up all these nests and relocate them anyway, so this isn't actually a new idea. So you dig up the nest. You have to be very careful. You dig up the nest, and you put the eggs covered in sand in a ba- in a 
bucket, the, the kind of bucket you get at Lowe's, those five gallon buckets. That basically is the size of most nests. And then you cover it with a towel and you put it somewhere where it won't be disturbed. You don't even need light, um, but it has to be indoors so it wouldn't be dug up by raccoons or fox. And it has to be temperature controlled. It has to be cooler because the sand outdoors is too hot and we are never ever going to be able to cool that naturally. And you just leave it and it will hatch on its own. And then you take the hatchlings and you go down to the beach and you put them in the water. Now I can tell you, I would guarantee that there would be thousands of volunteers who would love to do this. I'm sure there would be. Yeah, it would be real conservation where you're actually saving a species, right? And think of all the corporate donors. I mean, corporations have a terrible reputation. Wouldn't they love a little good PR? Especially turtles. Everybody likes turtles. I know. And these are the little baby, these are the little baby ones. I mean, how cute are they? They're like three inches big. Oh, they're just gorgeous. Yeah, so they this could be done, right? It could be done, and it would really help shift the balance. I can't say if we would ever actually save the species, but we would certainly put off impending extinction. And yet, none of these experts, these sea turtle biologists, none of them want to get involved. They Their answer to me in all these emails is, we're not at the level where we need to do anything. Maybe we could put some shading devices on the beach. I said, have you been to Florida? These people don't even want a wood stake marking a sea turtle next. There is no way they're going to allow some shading device. And who's going to pay for that? And who's going to put it up? No, that's not even feasible. That's that's literally a lie. This you know, is, this is awful. You think the universities, bear in mind that they're Right. You know, the job is to educate people, right. you know, that they would want to get ahead. You know, we see so many species in gene pools, right. of, you know, various animals that are beyond saving that, especially in the climate crisis, you've got to get ahead of the game. And as you say, that's quite a relatively easy thing for universities to do. And everybody would love it. It gets kids outdoors. You know, it's something that they can see. It's dealing with cute animals. I mean, it really does tick all the boxes for a very low cost, doesn't it? Well, not only that, but all these universities actually have courses for marine biologists. I mean, Nova Southern University touts itself as this great place. If you want to be a marine biologist, they have the program for sea turtles. And yet they won't do anything about enforcing the light, uh, the lighting laws, and they won't do anything about um, having an indoor hatchery. Ironically, for years, up until I think about 2010, 2011, they would come out in the morning and dig up these same nests I'm talking about and relocate them, just not indoors. They would just move them back on the beach because of the light pollution. So think about that. This billion-dollar university, instead of getting the state agency and the federal agency and all of these you know, people yeah. behind them to enforce the law to save an endangered species, they chose to dig up the sea turtle nest and move them out of the direct line of a light. And, and sorry, did that work or did that not work? No, not really. No, because when not- you, yeah, yeah, because there was just so much light pollution that even oh, if- yeah, even even if the nest, well, there's so much light pollution, there isn't there isn't enough beach to put nests where there, there isn't some kind of light shining on them. But even if the hatchlings come out and they are crawling to the ocean, there's so much light north, south and west of them. And even sometimes the cruise ships 
that they latch onto the lights and they don't go to the ocean. So we would come out in the morning and we would see tracks that sometimes go right from the nest west, or sometimes that looked like they were going towards the ocean and then they went south or north. Oh, that is so sad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, you yeah, we used to call little death things just yeah, we used to, going in circles until they die. It's just awful. Yeah, by by the by the millions. And and this isn't this isn't just one beach or one county. This is the entire state of Florida. The entire state of Florida. Um, and you can clearly see the direct correlation between uh, light pollution and humans on the beach just by looking at the three miles of Highland Beach, because like I said, Highland Beach is very dark and there's nobody there. And if you don't work in an area like that, you would have no clue. But I have pictures, so I have the proof. I would come out and I would see the nest had hatched. And I would see all of the hatchlings about an average nest has about a hundred eggs and they would all go straight to the water, straight to the water, straight to the water. Most of the other beaches, it's a zigzag. It's either a huge triangle or it's just looping around circles. I I think many of us that have been to Florida, when you stand on the beaches, I've been to a few of them. You know, you, you suddenly realize when you look around, it is, as you say, it's a cove um, and, you know, everybody's trying to get those sea views. So you're, so you're right. It's, you know, it is nothing but light, isn't it, really? It, it really, it really is. <clears throat> it's not just Florida, Florida's got so much to lose in the climate crisis. It's one of the places that is going to lose the most. You know, you think really they would really want to get on top of this now. Yeah, you would you would think that, but you would be wrong. It's really all about getting people down here to buy a home, and then they just they just don't they just don't care. Um, whenever we have like a really bad red tide crisis, right, which is a little more yeah worse on on the west coast uh, with all the oil drilling than on the east coast, they would have like the parks commission and the county departments actually tell residents and send out these ridiculous emails to people that the water was safe to go in. And they would come out before sunrise and they would scoop up all of the dead fish and dolphins and turtles and, you know, from that would wash up dead from not just red tide with the blue green algae and the oil spills and all of that. But it would be worse during the during the quote red tide event. And they would uh, dump them either back in the ocean or somewhere else. So they would be out of sight, but they didn't actually do anything. Um, Moat Marine. Is, is another example where people think, oh, it's a world-class place for these you know, scientists to go and study sea turtles, right? Well, I think they said something like they, and who knows if, if they actually spent any money, but I think they said something a couple of years ago that they were going to spend like $10 million, quote, studying red tide, whatever, whatever that means. But get this, they, they spent a lot of energy raising, are you ready for this? $130 million expanding their aquarium oh my goodness for captivity right not 130 million to clean up the water um, or to relocate the sea turtles or to open a rehab for the manatees no there was none of that this was just for their aquarium 130 million dollars you could actually do a lot of good with that right you could Um, especially as the manatees above everything i mean that's the thing when you book a flight to florida you're looking forward to seeing the manatees you yeah, know, good. Good luck with that. There, yeah. we don't have very many, and the ones that we have are very thin and starving. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's a pitiful. very, very sad. Yeah, it's a very sad, 
sad situation. I don't even know how long the manatees are going to last. But if you look at the manatees and the sea turtles, you can really see, and, and all the herbicides that they're spraying in the water, you can really see the true agenda of Florida, which, like I said, is con, but not conservation. Um, and then if you look at all of these nonprofits like Sea Turtle Conservancy and even Gumbo Limbo, Gumbo Limbo is tied to FAU. And FAU, like I said, they've got like a billion dollar budget. So they have scientists there who do all these studies, right? So Jeanette Weineken and Mike Salmon sit on the Marine Turtle Specialty Group for the IUCN. So there is no way that the IUCN is going to do anything for sea turtles because the people that sit on the group are in Florida. And they are just literally treading water and biding out their time because most of these people in their 50s and 60s, they figure, you know, they've got five, 10 years before it's it really time, is it? So they don't care. Exactly. Hits the fan. Yeah. Um, the, the same for the people that work at FWC. Um, they're not 25-year-old activists. They're all come from, you know, hunting, lobbying, mining, developing backgrounds. And scientists are not activists. Uh, actually, wrote an article that said that scientists are not activists. So they're paid just to study things. But that doesn't mean that they're actually going to do anything with that information. And Gumbo Limbo was particularly a disappointment because when Kurt Rosinko was running it, it was it was very different. I actually worked there for about five months during the coal studying. So I actually worked in their brand new rehab center. But last year, um, after Kurt had resigned, Dave Anderson was running it. Jeff Corwin, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Corwin. He's this big no, conservationist and he hugs and kisses a lot of wildlife on his TV shows. And people think he's this great conservationist. Well, I have pictures um, of him holding newborn hatchlings that they were releasing at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, if you know anything about sea turtles, their DNA is triggered so that they hatch at night, partly because it's cold and partly because it's dark out and it's easier for them to get to the ocean and swim. It's so much easier swimming in cool water than hot water, right? It also means that they're less likely to be visible to predators. There are predators at night, we all know that, but they're not as visible. So, so, when, to, so when you have these these hatch um, these hatch places, and people are you know it, people have taken the eggs off the beach and then they're putting them back, do they all release them at night? Then is that is that the best idea that they do? I always did. Um, right. I always did. <clears throat> Whenever I excavated a nest in Highland Beach that had already hatched, and we would have little hatchlings, we would come back to the beach at night. <clears throat> I was already on the beach at night rescuing turtles anyway, and we right. would release them at night that morning. But when you go to these hatchling releases, sometimes they will keep those hatchlings and not feed them for several days. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's all of these places, all of these places that do hatching releases. There aren't enough. You can't guarantee when someone buys a ticket in January, you can't guarantee six months, seven months later that you're going to have hatchlings to release the night of their ticket. So where do these hatchlings come from? Oh, right. Keep a few. <clears throat> yeah, they have they have to for the people that buy the tickets. So again, this is not about conservation. Uh, if it was really about conservation, what they could do is they would have people get a ticket and come out six o'clock in the morning for an excavation. And maybe you see a hatchling and maybe you don't. And then, you know, you could come back that night kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it would be a little more fluid. But if you explain to people 
that this is this is how it's really done if you want to save a species and how amazing would it be to actually contribute to saving them instead of exploiting them people would get with the program but that is not done in florida you know it's a shame it's a shame because i've bought tickets to um go out and see dolphins and in the wild bits and bobs but generally it's been with places that they they absolutely say loud and clear you may not see anything right we stay a respectful distance and i did note that the people that did say that i'm honest about you may not see a sea eagle you may not see a dolphin their uh, boat trips were still fully booked people are happy to pay and take their chance exactly exactly they should have a little bit more faith in people exactly and that's and that's and that's the thing but the thing that gumbo limbo did um, which really irked me was they deliberately kept these hatchlings to release them specifically for the TV cameras. And I wrote an article about it and I took the pictures where you can clearly see the TV cameras from Animal Planet focused on Jeff Corwin and Dave Anderson releasing all these hatchlings in the middle of the day, knowing those hatchlings basically have virtually no chance of survival. So on top of the hot sand only creating females <laughs> and on top of all the plastic in the water and on top of all the you know chemicals being dumped in the water this is really a a doom a doomsday interview here and on top of all the <laughs> we've got all, something to say to give people hope here <laughs> I, I know well there is there is hope hang on people um and on top of all the light pollution um, we we have this kind of stuff going on with the turtle walks and the hashing releases and the photo ops and all and all of this kind of stuff. And and as you said, if they had just explained, you know, this is an endangered species. They've been around since the dinosaurs. It's literally a living fossil. People and how amazing! And and, yeah. I don't, and they never get enough credit. People are not you know awful. Tourists are not all awful. Give them right. a chance to help you know, a turtle and just stand back and, and get it to the right place at six o'clock in the morning, I bet you people would turn up and help, you know, and buy the ticket to do it if they see something or don't see something. So what can, you know, what's, the, let's give someone the positive here. What can we do? Okay. Well, any, anyone in the world can can help because it's not just a Florida thing and it's not just where <clears throat> there's, there's light pollution and, and nesting because this is, like I said, a, a global problem. So the number one thing is, Tell everybody. And I just want to say that light pollution doesn't just affect sea turtles. It affects all nocturnal life. So a lot of the shorebirds are being affected and the bats too. So this would benefit everyone. And the quote, turtle-friendly light is actually safer for humans. So even if you're not concerned about wildlife, if you have one of those bright floodlights and you think it's a safety mechanism, it actually blinds you. And so you have these dark spots where people can hide. So there's actually a human benefit to getting the turtle friendly lights. Um, so that would be one thing is to spread the word that anyone can change a light bulb and it would have a tremendous effect on not just the nocturnal animals, but it would also be more safer for humans as well. That would be number one. Number two, don't donate to any nonprofit without really doing your research. Look at how much money they have and ask them. You know, what are your programs? You know, how many of the sea turtles have you saved? What programs? Are you doing anything about the light pollution? Do you support, you know, basically an indoor hatchery? I I can't come up with any other idea that would really work. Like I said, we're not going to get the shading devices. So 
if anyone wants to save sea turtles. That would work. So the nice thing about this one is it would work. There is a solution. You just need to encourage people to pay for the right place to do the right job. Exactly, exactly. And and phone calls, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these places, um, it's not really brought to their attention. But I guarantee if, if, you know, I ran a university and I had a marine turtle program, you know, and I was patting myself on the back, I'm creating all these marine biologists, and I started getting inundated with phone calls and emails saying, listen, you know, you've got all this money and all this space, and you know, a lot of people would love to help something that was genuine, right, where they could actually see I'm helping and here it is, right, here's the turtle going in the water, we'll come back 20 years and make a nest that we're actually protecting something, they would help. If they started getting all that phone calls and emails, you know, they might start to pay attention. That's that's definitely something that one of the um, activist <clears throat> organizations should take on board because, again, that is actually quite a positive thing. They're not asking them to stop anything. They're asking for, really, climate use to be able to do something, you know, that is really pleasurable and it's a total benefit. There's there's just endless wins in that one. So that would actually be a good thing for people to ask, you know, the, the animal charities and the animal activist groups to kind of try and in numbers, you know, ask the universities, you know, could could we please, you know, think about doing something like this? The irony is it's not only the only way to save sea turtles, but this is the best part. The indoor climate controlled hatcheries bypasses all of the light pollution problems and the hot sand problems. It doesn't do anything about the plastic. Once you're in the ocean, they're on their own. But since we're never going to cool the sand, that's not possible. And we're not going to do anything about enforcing the light laws. By removing the hatchlings out of that situation, we don't have to worry about any of that. It's literally a win-win situation, but David Godfrey, David Godfrey sent me an email and he said, not only do we not need to do this, I would actively fight against the hatcheries and he runs Sea Turtle Conservancy. I begged, yeah, yeah, I begged Sea Turtle Conservancy as did Richard Whitecloud of, of Sea Turtle Oversight Protection and a bunch of people for years to come to Broward County and help with the light pollution and they didn't. So whatever few hundred houses they have helped with the lighting, does absolutely nothing. And even if you fix the one house, right? Like let's say your house was quote turtle friendly. What about the millions of condos next to you, next to you, exactly. right? You can't, you can't just fix the one, you have to do the whole area or at least the, the bulk of it. So the indoor hatcheries that are climate control would fix the two biggest problems that I know in writing, no one is going to do anything about. I mean, it's a joke. It really, it really is a joke. But unusually for a species, and you know, everything that we look at on other species is, you know, there there are very few solutions that are easy to implement right. as easy right. as this. I mean, literally, if the universities, and there's plenty of them, took up a program, and as you say, they're all training marine biologists out there, um, that actually makes such a big win. And to not worry about the hot sand, as you say, it's going to get hotter and there's not a lot anybody can do about it. And if you don't need to ask everybody to change your light bulb, however easy it is, you know, that's a huge win. So I think that it is one of those things that we need to be writing to whatever organisation, you know, we think to support and the universities and see if we can get numbers, you know, to grow and try and get that maybe as a kind of quest, 
maybe the next animal activists who listen to this can try and think, okay, who do we know in what organisation that we can bring numbers and, you know, humane societies or anybody else that can actually address this as a huge win for nature, for people, for, you know, climate youth, for learning, for everybody, really. Well, I can tell you one group to avoid, which would be defenders of wildlife. They were good back in the 1990s, and I supported them, and they put wolves back into Yellowstone. Well, they've since abandoned the wolves, but I can tell you that they don't do anything. They're actually a big obstacle. They're almost as bad as FWC. Um, When they claim that they are helping save the manatees, no, it's the volunteers. It's not Defenders of Wildlife. They're not doing anything for sea turtles. I spent 11 years in the field. I would know if somebody was helping sea turtles. I travel the state. I would know. Um, they're not saving the bears or the panthers. Anyway, in fact, I just wrote an article exposing all of their nonprofit, you know, fraud. Um, so I would avoid them, but definitely Sea Trail Conservancy and Gumbo Limbo or Longerhead Marine Life and Florida Atlantic University, Nova Southern University. Um, so basically, it's just have a go at the universities and just, ha- yeah, just have a go. Find, yeah. Can find an opening somewhere, isn't it? That you know, they're open to a, a discussion and it doesn't matter if you're one person or a hundred, you know, exactly. it's worth sending a letter. Exactly. And th- and think think of, think of like, I mean, this would be like unbelievable. This would be something that Florida actually could be proud of. You know, they claim yes. that they're the leader in conservation and I'm like, well, in con, but not conservation. This, this would bring in people from all over the world. And when we had the coal stunning event in 2010, you had sea turtle biologists come to Gumbo Limbo uh, to perform surgery on all these green sea turtles who, thankfully for them, they were caught in the coal stunning, but they all have these fibropapilloma tumors, which comes from exposure from toxins in the water. They, they basically cause cancer. So it was like a big surgery day. It made, it made international news. It was on CNN. And everybody looked at that and thought, wow, this is really great. Look at Florida. Look at Gumbo Limbo. You had Chicago. You had Georgia. You had Boston. So you had all these Central experts come down for a couple of days of surgery, and it was like a great thing. So that's just a tiny little bit of what could happen. Imagine if we actually did this statewide. I mean, it would really put Florida on the map for something good instead of all of the instead of all the bad shenanigans that go on in this state. And think of the jobs, right? Um, I mean, it, it it would have an unbelievable ripple effect. It would be great. Economically, it'd be great politically. Obviously, it would be great conservation-wise. Well, do you it's know, a yes, win-win yesterday, I think yesterday or the day before, you know, COP15 announced some mm. some amazing, you know, um, agreement between everybody that was, I, I think they got a bit overexcited saying they're going to save humanity. I mean, luckily right. they have. <laughs> right. um, I'm very grateful. <laughs> but if, you know, then then we hear about the light pollution and the turtles and you know we can right. we can bring in wild horses and we can bring in all kinds of other animals and we're like well okay you know surely then that means there's got to be some hope for projects such as this and right. you would hope that the UN biodiversity and you know when they're making all these agreements would trickle down and you know the mayor of Miami has been very vocal this year on climate issues and so, yeah, I think I think the positive we can take here just to kind of wrap up is that everybody, maybe more so than parting with your money, if there's a letter that can be written or a phone call that can be made, it might actually help more getting things done. I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. And in fact, <clears throat> I've written quite a few articles um, about the sea turtle problem and about FWC. So people wanted to read what some of these nonprofits and, and uh, the IUCN and, and the state agency actually have to say, they can log on to my website, uh, Reality Checks with Stacey Lee, and you can just search sea turtles and all the articles will come up and all that information is there and all the pictures, you know, the pictures of the boiled hatchlings, <clears throat> the pictures of the boiled eggs, I'm losing my voice, um, and, and the difference, and the difference between a hatch out where the tracks go straight to the water, like they should, and the tracks that just kind of loop around. So you can actually see the pictures and you can actually see the quotes and then you can really see how big of a problem this is. But like Margaret Mead said, one person can really make a difference. They can. And I encourage people to look at your website because when you see the pictures, it does kind of bring it home, you know, <clears throat> how, how, how this is all sort of going wrong. Um, and again, I think we can end on the positive note that, you know, rather than, part with money in the cost of living crisis if we can pick up the phone or just send an email and just give positive solution ideas that are completely win-win-wins then you know this is definitely the time to do it definitely the time to do now absolutely yeah now today please <laughs> yeah today please <laughs> yes today please yeah right i will i think we'll leave it there while we've still got voices and I just a huge thank you. It's lovely to finally talk to you and learn so much about turtles. We've gone all day, I'm sure. But thank you ever so much. Thank you very thank much. You. I really appreciate it. <laughs>